Special technique. Special technique of shadow boxing. What's going on? What's going on? What's good, everybody? You are here live, and this is the newest episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show here on Sunday, February 3rd, 2019. I am your host, James Bell, lead boxing analyst for the Cold Hard Truth on Sports. You could get boxing articles and more on vchtonsports.com. Number to dial in to have your take in boxing is 347-237-5539. Press the one key to get on cue, and you'll be able to talk live on the show. Uh, We have a one-hour podcast here available to talk about uh, what's been uh, going down in the sport of boxing, you know, over the weekend and the past few days. Um, we have a um, fight card that's uh, to cover that was at the um, Ford Center in Frisco, Texas, um, as you have the WBO light heavyweight title uh, that was on the line in the main event. You also had a vacant IBF lightweight championship that was uh, put up on the line and a featherweight championship that was also on the line as well. So we'll be able to um, talk about that uh, here in this particular podcast and also uh, cover a couple of things that are uh, happening in the boxing scene, particularly in the heavyweight division and also uh, within the uh, super featherweight division as well, but uh, we wanted to, you know, get into it as uh, you had the uh, fight card that was at the Ford Center in uh, Fresco, Texas. This is, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, training facility. Uh, they had, of course, a notable fight there uh, last year uh, with Errol Spence Jr. headlining um, his uh, defense of that. IVF welterweight title, but now they had uh, this um, kind of like this uh, co-promotional uh, thing going down uh, with uh, top rank and main events uh, here. And, you know, we had this on uh, in an ESPN Plus um, where ESPN uh, was able to have a couple of fights there that included uh, Richard Comey against Issa Chanayev and Oscar uh, Valdez going up against Carmine Tomasoni. Uh, so we'll be uh, covering uh, those fights, but wanted to get into the main topic as you had the WBO light heavyweight title on the line as 
Elida Alvarez was defending the title against Sergey Kovalev. Of course, uh, you had, you know, back in April 4th of 2018 at uh, Atlantic City, the uh, Hard Rock that was over there, their first fight where uh, Sergey Kovalev ended up losing uh, by knockout to Elida Alvarez to lose the that uh, WBO uh, light heavyweight title. Um, and they, yo, ended up uh, having an immediate rematch. Uh, you know, I was at that fight over in Atlantic City. Uh, that was, you know, pretty much a very good fight between those two. I think it was probably um, one of the uh, best, um, I think it was one of the best fights um, of the year. Um, uh, in, in my perspective, uh, it was, a, you know, a fairly close fight. Uh, the uh, judges there pretty much had it that uh, Kovalev was uh, in the lead there before the uh, seventh round where Ella de Alvarez was able to score the uh, knockout over Kovalev to uh, win that WBO uh, title. Uh, but then they you know, followed up with an immediate rematch uh, that was scheduled here uh, for uh, February 2nd at the Ford Center. And so, you know, it was just looking into uh, what was about to go down there uh, between Kovalev and Alvarez. And I really had a, a very, um, very lofty expectation there for Elidair Alvarez uh, going up against Kovalev. I thought that uh, Kovalev was on his way down and that you – you know, pretty much you fairly had some type of a blueprint uh, for Kovalev in order to defeat him. Uh, but it uh, seems like, uh, you know, Kovalev made a couple of changes um, in the gym, uh, made a change there uh, with his main trainer, and um, we saw an immediate result uh, going from that. Um, and that was uh, basically – you know, having Buddy McGirt as his main trainer uh, there in the corner. And uh, we see that it was a uh, definite uh, difference there uh, for uh, Sergey Kovalev in his bout against Eladar Alvarez as uh, he was, you know, able to kind of like control the pace in his fight against Eladar Alvarez and kind of like show that he was the better boxer uh, in this particular matchup, um, he didn't necessarily go in there as you know the uh, crusher, so to speak, uh, but someone who was uh, more of a uh, boxer that you know took his time, kind of like measured his opponent and uh, seeing what his opponent was doing and uh, made adjustments from that. And we saw that from you know the first round all the way to the twelfth round is. Um, you know, Sergey Kovalev didn't necessarily go all the way into uh, try to, you know, push his uh, will or his force onto Elida Alvarez, but just uh, waited on Alvarez to see if he would make any mistakes or see if there were any openings. And he just, you know, pot shot at him a few times to, you know, get the uh, upper hand in the match and then just carry that over all the way through 12 rounds and wasn't necessarily in trouble against uh, Elida Alvarez. And he ended up scoring a unanimous decision victory, one score 
120 to 108, and two scores of 116-112. The WBO light heavyweight championship in hand. Helida Alvarez, his first loss of uh, his professional career. Uh, early on here, we got a uh, caller coming in uh, from the 813. What's going on there with you? Hey, what's up, Jay? This is uh, Terrell calling for the Super Bowl edition of the Boxing Source Radio Show brought to you by the Cold Hard Truth uh, Network. Hopefully I got that right. <laughs> but, yeah, just real quick, I, I didn't get to see the fight. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but definitely uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting fight. And and from what I uh, I kind of for some part from what you uh, spoke of and what I read about at this point is that Kovalev came in as a different fighter and you know we just talked about this fight in detail last week we have one 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 panel member stating that he's not even going to support the fight by even watching or anything like that so I will still be interested to see on what his assessment is of this post fight at this point but, but yeah. I think, um... Yeah, hopefully we we uh, soon soon get a, a response uh, there from that because he had like an interesting um, assessment uh, about this particular fight um, and also you know going into the fight. But you know, I kind of like for me, I, I just kind of expected that um, you know Elida Alvarez would you know basically be there and you know just impose his will and his grit against someone and and. It was like, uh, you know, Tim Bradley was saying there and also Max Kellerman in his assessment after the fight. I mean, you had Sergey Kovalev that had a, you know, a um, profile of being a bully, so to speak, uh, you know, going into his run uh, as a light heavyweight champion or his first run as a light heavyweight champion. Um, and then when, you know, Andre Ward uh, beat him, and then eventually knocked him out. That whole thing kind of like went away a bit. And then with him being knocked down three times by uh, Elida Alvarez in August, that completely removed uh, that whole thing about him being a bully. So, you know, going into this fight, I didn't really expect uh, Sergey Kovalev to have, you know, much of an adjustment. I mean, you know, almost having that old dog, new tricks uh, type of a thing that, but, you know, Betty McGirt just, you know, told told him to just stick with the basics, be patient, you know, don't go all in and don't, you know, try to walk into uh, too much of what Elder Alvarez has. And, you know, once you do that, then you should be able to win this fight uh, fairly easily. So uh, that's the uh, plan that he had, and he basically stuck to it. And Elder Alvarez just didn't have any anything to adjust and, um, you know, make – Sergey Kovalev uh, go away from his original game plan. Yeah, and that's the one point that I'm definitely getting to is that uh, I mean certainly Kovalev came in and uh, in, in somewhat of a different boxer and been actually more of a boxer instead of a, a, a bruiser puncher type style, which he's been known for. Uh, despite the fact that uh, we, we we suggest that that specter of arrogance and and brashness might be gone for him because of these losses from, from uh, Ward and even uh, Alvarez in the first fight. So, but, but like on the flip side, what did Alvarez do to, to, to keep his title? And, and from what accounts, it sounds like he just, there wasn't a lot of bravado uh, in, in, in his performance at all. One thing I read on Twitter is the fact that why would some guy wait all the time for his, his title shot? He gets the title, 
and then gives up in his first offense. You know, it's kind of like, like I say, you expect more bravado, more more out of Alvarez to keep that title, yep. you know, despite yep. some things and stuff like that, which we obviously did not see. So, so that point, now, I mean, you look at the light heavyweight division, and all of a sudden, once again, I mean, we already got a lot of interesting matchups, right? Uh, but now you got, got your champs at WBA, Bobol, WBC, Gavuzdik, IBF, Better uh, BF, and now once again at the WBO, Sergey Kovalev. And so I tell you what, Eastern Europe is definitely well represented within the light heavyweight division, and we certainly have some some good fights, potential fights lined up that we can ever get some kind of unification or even champion against champion within that division. So, but uh, Kovalev back on top. Uh, will he stay the same as a, remains to be seen? Uh, so, but at, once again, him having that WBO belt, uh, he's in the driver's seat for some fights that he, he can get into. Whereas we as whereas we, there was a thought beforehand that this guy might be on a downslide, might be going on his way out. I'll see how the boxing. So we'll see. Yeah, um, you know, going into that fight against um, Alvarez in the first fight there in in. Um, in Atlantic City, the uh, co-feature bout, you know, had um, Dimitri Baval uh, there against Isaac Chalemba. And, I mean, the uh, plan or the plot, you know, coming out of that was that you would have had you know, Baval win his match against Chalemba and uh, Kovalev win his match against Alvarez. And then, you know, eventually you would have Kathy Dulles set up a fight between Baval and uh, Kovalev. But, uh, with uh, Kovalev's loss, then they kind of like delayed those plans, and uh, you ended up having this rematch, and Baval ended up fighting Pascal, and even in that particular matchup, uh, Baval had a fairly disappointing performance there. Uh, but now uh, with uh, Kovalev winning, that was one of the names that he mentioned as a possible uh, fight that he could have there in the future. That he was, you know, seeming that he would be ready to. Uh, unified the light heavyweight uh, titles once again, and Baval was the uh, first name uh, that he mentioned. And, you know, going off the uh, performance there that he had against Alvarez, uh, where he was just able to, like I said, be patient, take his time, use the jab a lot, and then follow through with that. And, you know, not necessarily go all out, but just, you know, be wary of what Alvarez had uh, as a counter. Uh, but, you know, just just being out there and not necessarily uh, being in too much trouble. But, you know, what I also saw there with uh, Sergey Kovalev was that he did actually prepare himself for what Elidor Alvarez had in store for him. Um, you know, particularly, I would say, at the beginning of the fourth round, um, you had Elidor Alvarez there, you know, kind of like hit him flush a little bit with the right hand. And uh, he was able to take that fairly well and, you know, move on from that and, you know, just keep keep with his plan, stick with his plan and, and things like that. And, you know, just had the advantage for the rest of that round and was able to outperform uh, Elida Alvarez. So, um, you know, I would probably see uh, Kathy Duva trying to make that fight between uh, Kovalev and uh, Dimitri Vival there in the near future. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the uh, next fight uh, that is on slate there for uh, Sergey Kovalev. Um, on the flip side, uh, you have Elida Alvarez suffering his first loss, which is, you know, kind of like a uh, setback of sorts because 
if I'm not mistaken, they were saying that Alvarez was a recent signee to uh, Top Rank. So we had like a co-promotional deal there with uh, Top Rank, you know, going into that fight. So now it's like, okay, he ends up losing this fight. What are you going to do? Uh, line him up with next. Um, seeing that the, he lost the way that he did, and it was like a clear loss. So uh, either, you know, they would have to see if there's a way for him to reinvent himself or uh, see if they could, you know, try to get a couple of fights there to get his confidence back. Yeah, one quick follow-up question from, from last week. Badu Jack, what's the guy's name that won the title last week with, uh, against Badu Jack? Marcus Brown? Yeah, Brown. That, that was a lot heavyweight, right? Yes. So what did he win? That was a, what a, a WBA interim title. What was it? Well, you had um, both of those guys were highly ranked in the uh, WBA and the WBC. Uh, so you know, uh, with uh, Brown getting that win, he would be at the top spot in both of those. Um, you know, both of those um, commissions. So he would be like the next in line for a fight against either Baval or, um, you know, what he had there uh, for the WBC uh, light heavyweight title. So um, he would, you know, try to – he said that he would like to fight Kovacic, um, but we'll see uh, what what else is out there that could be available for him if they can't get the Kovacic fight. Uh, just uh, getting another call in, area code 646, what's going on with you? Yo, JR was good, man. Matt. Who was that? Mike Grady? Nah, it's Terrell. Terrell. Yo, what up, Terrell? How you doing, man? Yo, what's good? I heard you guys talking about um I guess uh, Marcus Brown and, and his whole situation. Um supposedly he's supposed to uh be fighting Vosdick, but Vosdick um got I guess an exception from the WBC, and he's gonna fight some random guy. I guess that's what uh, Top Rank said. So who knows if Brown is ever gonna get his title shot? Obviously, he's. Um, I think he's. Isn't he like the interim WBA champ now? Yeah. So, also, um, uh, yeah. So he has a uh, belt, a uh, small belt with the WBA and the WBC. Yeah. So you know he has his options. It's just a matter of, I guess, the the the, the what channel is it going to be on question. You know, it is what it is, man. Uh, he's probably going to have to go outside of the PBC uh, TV networks to get his fight because he's not, he's not big enough to command them to come to Showtime or Fox. So unless, unless he's able to become a mandatory and it goes to purse bid, he's going to have to go to one of these other channels. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like with Brown, I mean, they, they had him, um, you know, almost uh, set up to go up against Kovalev, and that would have been on HBO uh, there if he was uh, there to fight Kovalev instead of um, Elder Alvarez. So I think they'll, you know, probably see if they could set something up to where uh, Marcus Brown could fight one of those guys, either a uh, Alexander Kovacic or, um, you know, or try to fight for the WBA title against Demetri Baval and, and, you know, either ESPN Plus or uh, something like that. So, um, 
I mean, right now, uh, Marcus Brown is basically uh, out there that's, you know, waiting for his uh, opportunity uh, for a world title. But, you know, for the time being right now, with the recent um, changing of uh, the WBO world title, uh, now with Sergey Kovalev, he might have to wait a little bit in order to get his uh, overall opportunity. Now, I did uh, kind of like briefly cover that fight between Kovalev and Alvarez that happened last night uh, where, you know, um, Kovalev was able to make the adjustments there while having a new trainer, Buddy McGirt, and, you know, virtually shut out Alida Alvarez. And kind of like showed that, you know, he has a little bit of skill. And if he's like patient there in the ring, then he could really, you know, outbox a lot of opponents there in the light heavyweight division. Uh, What was your assessment about that fight there, Matt? I think Kovalev did what he had to do. I did say Kovalev to win the rematch. Um, going to be a different fighter, especially with the with the trainer change. I thought all this back to basic stuff really uh it really bore out during the fight. You you saw Kovalev he he, he didn't he I'm not gonna say he didn't get gassed because if you uh looked at him in the corner between rounds, he looked like he was gonna die. He was like literally, like, laid back, laid out. But it looked like Buddy McGirt always had the right things to, to say to him to keep him motivated, to keep him calm in the midst of whatever storm, no pun intended, Alvarez was going to bring to him. Now, lucky for him, Alvarez wasn't interested in throwing back too much because I guess he didn't like what Kovalev was throwing at him. So I don't think he's going to match up well against the other champions. I know you said that uh, he could maybe outbox these guys. I don't know which guys you're talking about. I, I don't see. I don't see any of the the other champions being too concerned with a unification bout with Sergey Kovalev. Uh, he <clears throat> he he did good for the opponent that he was facing. I, I don't believe that uh, Gvozdik or Better Bev or even be bald, I don't believe they're going to be afraid to throw back at Kovalev. Maybe be bald, but I don't think the Bivol fight is uh, likely, being that he's on his own. So with Bozdik, I don't think the Bozdik fight is likely. I think basically we can hope for better BS. He did beat Kovalev in the amateurs. Uh, he's been wanting to fight Kovalev for years. Let's see if Kovalev's ready to finally take that step. I don't think it's going to end well. But, you know, what what is he going to do at this point? He's an older fighter. He's still a bit of a name. He could, well, I'm not going to say he could attract the crowd because that crowd was pathetic in Texas for some reason. I don't know how many Russians are in Texas. Um, Maybe if he fights in New York, he can attract a little bit of a crowd. Maybe in Atlantic City, you could speak more to that because you were at his last fight in Atlantic City. I don't know what the crowd uh, looks like there. Maybe you could speak to that, but, you know, maybe on the East Coast he could be a draw. Or maybe he'll be in jail. Who knows? <laughs> hey, yeah, um, they yeah they still have a little bit of a uh, court issue that they have to deal with with Sergey Kovalev in reference to the uh, incident that happened um, last summer. Uh, so we got to figure out what's going to happen with all of that. Um, if that's going to be uh, cleared up and uh, situated before he gets set up for his next fight. Um, 
but quick question. Yeah. Innocent before guilty. Is that how it is in America? No. Uh, not for him. Not for him. Because <laughs> here's my thing yeah. about that. If I accuse you of punching me in the face, did you punch me in the face? It's a yes or no answer. Kovalev still has not denied hitting the woman, which leads me to believe that he did punch the woman in the face and he is setting up for some type of self-defense theory and he's going to give you all the reasons why he had to do it. So whether or not he's innocent, or guilty of the charge in, in the sense of a legal matter, I don't really care about that. The fact of the matter is he more than likely punched this woman in the face because he hasn't denied punching her in the face, which is a very simple yes or no question. Oh, so so he might do the self defense like a like a like a bow wow thing or or what? Yeah. <laughs> maybe one of those, man. Maybe he gonna say, maybe he gonna say he was getting hot and heavy with the chick, and then the dog attacked him. He he pushed the dog away or kicked the dog away, and she got mad, so she hit him, and his reflexes caused him to hit her back. I I think you're gonna hear some type of BS excuse. I I'm, I'm dying to hear what he has to say because why hasn't he said I didn't hit her? He's never said that. You've heard him say everything but that. He said, oh, the lawsuit is bullshit. He said, oh, the, the, the charges are bullshit. But when they say, well, did you hit her? Well, I can't talk about the case. Whoa, whoa, did you hit her or not? Yes or no? That's all we want to know. All the other excuses, that's fine. If you think this little uh, plastic-faced uh, woman that's like 110 pounds is going to beat you down and you had to, you had to crush her with a straight right hand or maybe you hit her with a left hook, I'm not sure what punch you used. Maybe you used the uppercut. You know, I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess I guess that means you you seen a couple of pictures of the uh, woman in, in, in question of that particular topic. Um because uh, uh, I've seen a few of them around, and uh, she does look like a uh, uh, you know someone that likes to be in the limelight a little bit. I, I'm not like, sure, like a but porcelain piggy bank. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's gonna be um, something that we gotta be on the lookout for in the next uh, few months or so. There with Sergey Kovalev because uh, that might. You know, delay things as far as uh, whether he can uh, move move on to uh, try to fight for a unified uh, championship uh, there. Um, what I find interesting about the whole thing is that uh, Kathy Duva is mad quiet about this whole thing, and uh, yeah, she is not saying a word about it. You know, uh, something that you know should be that serious. Uh, you know, she would at least, you know, try to say something about it, but we haven't gotten anything uh, from her in reference to this. So I find that kind of interesting that Kathy Duva has not really said much about the whole thing in that she almost is like kind of like participating in the whole uh, hush movement, uh, preventing reporters or anybody to, you know, ask questions about it too, Sergey Kovalev. Uh, there. Um, but um, yo, you also had um, 
in a uh, co-feature there on ESPN Plus. Uh, they had uh, Teofimo Lopez uh, defending um, a few American-based lightweight titles against Diego Magdaleno. Uh, there, uh, Teofimo Lopez is, you know, been uh, regarded as a very hot prospect. Uh, was uh, seen as prospect of the year uh, for last year, according to. Uh, many boxing publications, including uh, one that one of our callers uh, actively participates in, uh, you know, going up against uh, Diego Magdaleno, uh, who has been a uh, former uh, title contender on a couple of occasions, but uh, didn't necessarily uh, make the grade uh, when uh, going up against those uh, world champions. Um, but, you know, here it was just a matter of seeing what Teofimo Lopez was doing. And uh, you just got a basic display of someone who is just uh, much better than uh, Magdaleno and just, you know, really wanted to take his time. And he, you know, felt he had complete confidence that he could finish the fight at uh, any time that he wanted to. Um, but, you know, the way that, you know, this uh, ended, it was just kind of, you know, it was basically kind of bad in the sense that, you know, he was, Teofimo Lopez was just basically blown away. Uh, Diego Magdaleno, he was able to, you know, open the cut over Magdaleno's nose um, and just beat him to the punch. And Magdaleno really couldn't do much up, up against him up until, you know, up to the sixth round. Um, and then, you know, everybody saw that Magdalena was in trouble. Uh, he went out to the seventh round and, and Magdalena was like saying, come on, man, come on, come on. And Teofimo Lopez just hit him with, you know, two left hands and that just, you know, ended the fight. And I don't know what it was with the corner of uh, Diego Magdaleno or the referee there, uh, Gregorio Alvarez, uh, but they didn't, you know, necessarily stop the fight. And when he got knocked down, uh, Alvarez, you know, started to count and just went, did the stationary eight count before officially just stopping the fight and uh, giving the official win there to Teofimo Lopez uh, there. But uh, Lopez is, you know, still undefeated in a, a very, uh, you know, very viable lightweight contender uh, there in that division. And uh, like you were saying from last year, he wants to be in the ring against, um, you know, Vasilomachenko. Uh, but uh, for me, it just doesn't seem like they're trying to uh, make the moves to have that fight happen, um, especially there with uh, – the the results of an earlier fight that was there at the Ford Center, which I'll be uh, talking about uh, in a bit um, there. So um, I'm going to go with uh, Matt Hill because uh, you have a uh, lofty um, position there uh, for Teofimo Lopez um, and uh, kind of like an interesting comparison uh, to another uh, fighter that has been a legend in the sport. Um uh, go ahead and uh, give your thoughts on Teofimo Lopez's performance and uh, what may be in store for him in uh, 2019. Told you, Teofimo Lopez is already top three at lightweight. 
Today, I'm here to tell you Teofima Lopez is number one at lightweight. He is better than Vasily Lomachenko. He's better than Comey. He's better than Easter. Any guy you want to put at him, you line him up, Teofima Lopez will knock him down. He's going to knock him down in style. This, this, this guy, he is a talent that we haven't seen in boxing since a certain middleweight, super middleweight, light heavyweight, finally heavyweight from Pensacola, Florida, and I'm talking about the great Roy Jones Jr. I'm telling you right now, before you kick me off the line, before you kick me off the line, that's a bold, bold statement, very bold statement. Teofimo Lopez has the talent. He has the athleticism. He has the crushing power in both hands. He has the swagger, and he has that nasty, mean streak. That's everything I look for in a fighter. And I'm a little worried that Bob Arum is not going to match him up with Lomachenko. Anytime soon, you know why is it why is it Comey, if he's not injured, goes into the Lomachenko fight? Why why isn't he trying to get that belt for Teofimo Lopez? You think Lopez can't beat Comey? Come on, man! Why is it he is trying to hoard all the lightweight belts for Lomachenko? Why is he not trying to have his other fighter, his budding star in the same division, fighting for these championships? Don't tell me this kid is not ready. Because if you don't think he's ready, put him in with the best guy you can put him in with. Put him in with Lomachenko, and let's see if he's ready. He's been calling for the Lomachenko fight for well over a year now, okay? It is time to put this kid in fights that matter. And Diego Magdaleno, his brother, Jesse Magdaleno, want to get all rah-rah and kick all that fly shit after the fight, because after Teofimo knocked him out, he danced on him. He danced on him, like my man Javante Davis would say. Don't get mad. Your brother was the one talking all that junk in the build-up to the fight, talking about, oh, they're underestimating me. I'm going to beat this kid. It's not going to be easy. He was the one that was talking junk, saying, come on, come on, let's fight, let's fight. Okay. Left hook, left hook, good night. Night's over. Don't get mad because he, you know, he busts out his dick, did the backflip, and then I don't know if you saw that end, he shoveled him out the ring. Like, throw some dirt on him, baby. Get him out of there. Get him a body bag. That's what Teofimo Lopez is doing. That's what he means when he says it's a takeover. He ain't joking. It is the takeover. And he is ready for anyone willing to step into the ring with him. The only question is, will Bob Adams deliver the fight that this kid needs to become a world champion. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting uh, comment there about uh, Teofimo Lopez and, and uh, that comparison. But, I mean, the only thing that I could say about that is... I can't tell what to forget! Because, <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, because, yo... Man, 
Roy Jones was one of the most talented players uh, in the, or one of the most talented boxers there in like the past, what, 30, 30, 35, 40 years or something like that. So to give Teofimo Lopez that type of, uh, you know, um, praise, that that's a lot. That is a lot. You know, so um, I, I I don't know, man. But in reference to like you know putting in um, putting him in there with against uh, Vasil Lomachenko, that the thing about Lomachenko is is that you know they they kind of like have him there and they have him against you know one or two you know guys that are you know very skilled or whatever it is. But after all of that. You know, he's had a couple of light touches where, you know, people like kind of like say that he it shouldn't really much be in the ring there against them. Uh, so I don't see why they won't put Vasil Lomachenko against the likes of, uh, you know, Teofimo Lopez or, you know, even uh, Gavante Davis, uh, who I'll be talking about, um, you know, later on in the show. Uh, but in reference to you know Teofimo Lopez, uh, he he is you know looking very good there, and uh, looks like he's a dog, and that he he wants to fight the best, and that he would want to you know go up against all of those guys, and he has that type of well, he, I would say he has you know that type of confidence that he can beat anybody, but also it almost looks like he has the uh, courage that says he's not afraid to lose anybody. And I think that's very key uh, there in, in, in a boxer that you want to step in the ring there, not with the, just with the confidence that you could win, but also that you're not afraid to lose because you're willing to take risk or you're willing to, you know, stick in the ring there as long as you can to see if you'll be able to get the win against, you know, someone that maybe a lot of people feel that he won't, you know, defeat. So I don't see why uh, Bob Arum, you know, doesn't want to put him in a the ring there against Vasil Lomachenko. Uh, you know, maybe I just feel that Teofimo Lopez is not ready to face the likes of a Vasil Lomachenko. Lomachenko is like Muhammad Ali. He's that good. Well, if he's that good, then he should be able to walk through the likes of a Teofimo Lopez. So why not put him in the ring there against him? Exactly. Now you understand what I'm saying. Bob Arum, ever since the Salido fight, has not matched Lomachenko up with a nasty inside, rough and rugged fighter. I I, I haven't I haven't forgotten about what Salido did to him. A lot of people claim, well, it was only his second pro. Look, I don't care how many fights in it was. You took the matchup, you deal with the consequences. But ever since then, they've been putting him in there with guys whose game plan it is is to try to, oh, let's box beautifully, let's focus on the jab and do all this. No, 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 no. You need somebody in there that's going to run rough shots over Lomachenko, that's going to beat him up and knock him out. You got that with Javante Davis, and you got that with Teofimo Lopez. Now that Davis is kind of feeling himself, Lomachenko ain't looking for that fight no more. And, and Teofimo Lopez, you know Bob Adams going to keep him far away from Lomachenko because right now, even if it's on a small scale, 
Lomachenko does sell a bit of tickets. So he got to get his, his, his mini cash cow some, some fights. He wants to get Lomachenko to pay-per-view. We'll see. He wants to put Lomachenko on the ESPN app to get people to subscribe more. We'll see. Only thing I know is that Teofimo Lopez, whatever they do match him up with Lomachenko, he's going to beat him up and he's going to knock him out. Yeah, and I think that that's had been, um, you know, Bob Barron's plan from the outset uh, there for uh, Vasil Lomachenko because, um, you know, the thing that I have is, you know, that <clears throat> they they want Vasil Lomachenko to be that next superstar there for top rank. Um you know, to follow up with what uh, Manny Pacquiao uh, was having there. So, I mean, the thing about it is is that I think they're just trying to, you know, build somebody up, build somebody up to, you know, be this uh, superstar of sorts. And I don't, I I just don't necessarily see it there with Vasil Machenko because, you know, like you were saying, I mean, yeah, he's had a couple of, um, sellouts here and there, but that's you know in the um, that small uh, Hulu theater uh, there in Madison Square Garden. Um, but what about him, like actually selling out arenas that are you know more than four thousand or five thousand seats? You know what I'm saying? Um, they haven't necessarily uh, seen that uh, quite yet there uh, with uh, Vasil Lomachenko. Um, Terrell, any thoughts about uh, Lomachenko's uh, possible match there with Teofimo Lopez or if uh, Aram even wants to match him up? Yeah, and just really just to address Lopez real quick, he, he looked great, and he he looked great in getting that knockout. My main problem last night, a stop his performance, is his, his antics after the fight. Now, I get what, what Matt said is that uh, <clears throat> the guy's brother was basically talking trash, uh, things like that. But that's probably what, what – uh, Egg them on to just get his little dance on. I got I ain't got a problem with the dance over on the side. No problem with that. But when you stand over your opponent after you've already done your work on him, that's just disrespectful. And like I said, I get it to trash talk. Cause I, I mean, how many times have we seen a fight where it's been so much trash talk before the fight? Somebody comes in, gets a knockout, to pick the pick the guy up, and say, "Yo, good fight, man, good fight." And we like that last night. And for me, that display when he stood over the kid was just. Pure millennialism. That's that's all it was. You really no, don't don't, don't forget he swept him out of the ring. Don't forget he swept him out. Don't forget that. Don't forget he went <laughs> Apollo Theater on him and swept him off the stage. Don't forget that part. Uh, but... <laughs> nah, yeah, I, I mean, the thing was, he, 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 he was doing his, uh, you know, customary celebration. That's, you know, knocking, knocking the ball out of the park. So after he did his flip, he just, you know, ended right there next to Magdaleno and just did that little swing like he was knocking Magdaleno out of the ring. So that's how that kind of like ended up uh, there. But um, I mean, Lopez, Lopez looks like he, he's got the goods. It's just, um, you know, a matter of if you know, Bob Aaron wants to match him up against the uh, Vasil Lomachenko. But, you know, for the time being, it almost seems like Lomachenko has uh, two uh, possible uh, opponents uh, that are out there. And uh, one of them could uh, possibly uh, be uh, Richard Comey, who 
you know, ended up winning the a vacant uh, title uh, there, the IVF title, as he uh, faced and defeated Isa Chanayev uh, in the second round, where you know Chanayev just made a mistake of trying to you know go toe to toe there with Richard Comey there in the first round, and he ended up getting you know chin checked. <laughs> that could have. You know, when he got knocked out, then that could have been the end of the fight there. But he, they ended up continuing, and he got knocked down uh, once again in round two, and then got up and then uh, just hit. And uh, Komei ended up uh, having the fight stop. So uh, Komei ends up uh, finally getting the uh, world uh, lightweight title that he sought because he was, you know, unsuccessful against uh, Robert Easter. Uh, earlier in uh, his career, and uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, having him uh, facing Vasily Lomachenko in, uh, in April, uh, so that's kind of like what they were trying to uh, put together out there, so, hey, Jake, uh, that, you know, maybe they'll have a Lomachenko uh, have a mandatory defense, uh, but they aren't. They just are not saying for Vasily Lomachenko to fight Teofimo Lopez. Hey, Jake. Yo. Hey, quick question. Uh, going back to Lopez, before he gets into a supposed fight with Lomachenko down the road, would that be uh, within the next year and a half, something like that? Do you think, considering both guys keep winning, will Lopez and Devin Haney get in the ring together? For some somewhat of a eliminator fight at a at a, at a title shot, because uh, right now those guys are pretty much respect, uh, same class, uh, they they're they're familiar with each other, and I personally think that uh, they'll probably win each one. I pr- predict them to win the next few fights, and from that point, it's going to be more buzz to continue to go to that top level. I think those two will actually fight. So who would win between a Devin Haney and a Lopez? Right now, I see Lopez winning that. I see Lopez winning that. Uh, Devin Haney, to me, um, you know, going off his um, previous performances, like he hasn't really looked uh, very impressive against guys that, you know, maybe a little bit experienced, but, you know, some some people that, you know, you expect for Devin Haney to, you know, go right through if he's supposed to be that talented. Uh, so right now I, I, I see Lopez being the uh, guy that, is um, the best out of those uh, young contenders there with uh, him, you know, um, Devin Haney and also Ryan Garcia, who's also there uh, floating around in the lightweight division. So that's what I got out of that one. Um, yeah, like I was saying there with uh, Richard Comey, I mean, he, he was able to get that, able to get that win. He was very proud to, you know, win a world title there and, you know, be, um, another world champion from uh, the country of Ghana there. Um, and that's all they were immediately talking about was that, you know, he would possibly uh, put be put in position to fight uh, Vasily Lomachenko uh, in April um, instead of, you know, just having a customary, uh, you know, um, defense of a world title against a voluntary opponent. So it's almost like they're setting him up you know, the the uh, similar way that they, you know, set up Jose Pedraza uh, there when uh, Pedraza was able to win that WBO title against Raimundo Beltran, and then he just put him right in there 
against Vasyl Lomachenko. So um, that's what it's uh, looking like there in the lightweight scene, um, you know, right now. And it's uh, something that we're, we're kind of like seeing those high-profile matchups uh, there in the lightweight division within the first few months of uh, 2019. So that's uh, something to look uh, forward to uh, out there. Um, also, in uh, part of this card, you had the WBO featherweight title uh, on the line as Oscar Valdez uh, returned to the ring after almost a full-year layoff, going up against uh, Carmine Tomasone, uh, who was there 19 and old. Um, but, you know, it was uh, nothing there to where, I mean, he, like Tomasone, really had much of a chance to, you know, get the win against Oscar Valdez. And, uh, you know, for that also was a, a fight where it just seemed like Thomas Unley was way out of his league. Uh, he was, you know, knocked down a couple of times in the fourth round, and then he was knocked down once again in the sixth round, and pretty much just like in the uh, Teofimo Lopez fight, go out there in the seventh round, and then he got caught with a, a quick punch there to put him down on the canvas, and they immediately stopped the fight there for Valdez to get that uh, TKO win. So uh, you have Valdez there still undefeated with the uh, WBO featherweight championship. Um, and, you know, there were like a few talks after the fight that he may possibly uh, fight in a unification bout against Josh Warrington. Um, but, you know, people are not necessarily uh, impressed that much with Oscar Valdez and kind of like feel that Josh Warrington uh, probably could pull that off, uh, especially if uh, it's an, uh, you know, inside uh, type of fight uh, there where, you know, you have a lot of um, clashes there in close quarters. So um, that's something to look out for um, later on in the year, uh, especially if uh, Warrington is um, going to be put in there against Kate Galahad later on. Uh, this year, even though that's kind of like up in the air right now at this particular point. Um, Matt, what, what did you think about Valdez's performance in um, a potential match against Josh Warrington? Uh, I think he did okay. I, I wasn't too impressed. I thought he got hit too much. Um, I think uh, he did what he was supposed to do. If he fights any of the the other champions like Warrington, if he fights anyone that's that's busy, that throws punches, I think he'll get put out of his misery. I think they'll lift that title off of him. God forbid if he goes up in there with uh, Gary Russell Jr., I could just imagine Russell throwing like an 11-punch combination and every single one of them landing because this guy is so hittable. Um, You know, he got his jaw broken by, what what was it, Scott Quigg? And um, uh, Scott Quigg is not that big of a puncher. It's just he right. he doesn't have any real boxing smarts. Like, who who the hell boxes with their mouth open? Why, what part of the game is that? So it's like, um, I don't know, man. He's a good kid. I hope he does well. But if I was Aram, I would not rush into unifying him with any of the champions. I would just have him fight people up and down the rankings of the belt that he holds. Well, yeah, he's, you know, had those a uh, couple of fights. Uh, remember 
um, his fight against Genesis Savania, where Savania pretty much gave him a very good fight uh, there um, during the course of that fight, where you know Valdez got caught one time, um, and also you know Savania in the next round got knocked down. But but other than that, it was a pretty good back and forth fight. Savania was right there in front of him. Um, and you know, like you were saying there, it looks like Valdez just has those issues where um, he he um, he had the uh, thing where he was just getting hit a lot, and so he just has to make some adjustments. He has to improve his defense because uh, if he's gonna have any plans to hold that WBO title a little bit longer, he's gonna have to work on. Um, mixing up his uh, offense with some good defense and see if that could uh, work there uh, for him because if he continues to get hit like that, uh, then he'll, you know, end up in a lot of trouble against uh, the other guys that uh, hold the world uh, title there at featherweight. Um, anything uh, there from uh, you, Terrell, real quick before I move on to the next topic? Uh, I was seeing there if uh, Terrell was still on the line uh, with this. Um, but um, that pretty much uh, kind of like covers everything there from that card uh, that was at Frisco, Texas. So wanted to get into the next topic at hand or, you know, a topic that has a little bit of a domino effect. Um, earlier this week, uh, it seems like we had rumblings of an announcement that could be taking place within the next week or so that the Unified Heavyweight Championships will be put on the line. Now, for weeks upon months upon whatever, we thought that it would take place over at Wembley Stadium in April 13th. However, due to the actions of a few fighters, seems like that's not going to happen. So what we have in place is for the WBA, WBO, IBF, and IBO heavyweight champion, Anthony Joshua, fighting Jarrell Big Baby Miller, at Madison Square Garden plan for June 8th. And it's going to be, seems like it's going to be official within the next couple of weeks. And once it becomes official, I'm booking my ticket, I'm getting the hotel reservations ready, and I'm headed over to New York City, Manhattan. We're going to be over there in 34th Street or, you know, all in Madison Square Garden to see this fight between Anthony Joshua and Jarrell Big Baby Miller. Uh, Yes, they have been talking trash uh, for the past five or six months or whatever it is, and Jarrell Miller has been, you know, trying to put himself in position to have this title shot. So now it seems like that's what's going to take place uh, here coming up in June um, for the Unified Heavyweight Championships. And 
Hey, once that thing goes down, I mean, I can't wait. You, you, y'all know that, you know, I've had a few, you know, interviews there with uh, Jarrell Big Baby Miller uh, over the course of his career, been in the, through, uh, through a couple of his fights. Uh, he's very vocal, um, you know, talks a lot of trash and everything like that. And now they're, you know, having plans to, you know, bring Anthony Joshua over to the U.S. to see, you know, how much uh, interest that he gets there in the U.S. So why not have a fight against uh, a uh, Brooklynite in the world's most famous arena there in Madison Square Garden? So uh, that's what it looks like is happening. And uh, see, seems like we have a little bit going on if this fight takes place and depending on who wins, Somebody is going to get a steak dinner, and I am hungry, and I want that steak. I need six four six to make comments about that, please. Wow. First of all, when you mention Anthony Joshua, please stop mentioning the IBO title. Stop trying to legitimize that fringe title. You might as well mention the NABF. The WBU, you might as well say he's the British Commonwealth champion. You know, mention all these other titles if you're going to mention the IBO. The IBO is nothing. But anyway, Jarrell, Big Baby Miller, is going to put it on Anthony Joshua. And I, for one, cannot wait. Anthony Joshua basically talked himself into losing his title against someone that's a boxing public doesn't respect because they're not too familiar with Big Baby Miller. They're not too familiar with his skill set. They don't understand that he has fast feet and fast hands. They obviously don't understand that his activity is going to be too much for the bodybuilder. Anthony Joshua loves to gas out. If he gasses out against Big Baby Miller, Big Baby Miller is going to overwhelm him and he's going to get him out of there. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And I'm looking forward to eating a nice juicy steak on your dime. I'm looking forward to to eating you out of house and home. Uh, I expect you to be at the nearest soup kitchen the following week after buying me my uh, sixty ounce tomahawk steak. <laughs> oh. I, I kind of find this a little bit interesting. Uh, first, for you to refer to Anthony Joshua as a bodybuilder, when half of the videos that Jarrell Miller took on social media is him in a gym. So the, I find that I find that interesting, for starters. <laughs> and he's just trying to maintain um, his sexy man. That's all. <laughs> and um. One 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 thing that I I I, I kind of um, you know am kind of unclear of, but I think it's in the archives of the Boxing Source Radio Show. But if I could recall, didn't you predict that Alexander Povetkin would defeat Anthony Joshua? I'm not here to talk about the past. <laughs> Uh, I I know know that you don't necessarily like to bring up the past on, you know, how you picked 
Alexander Povetkin to defeat Anthony Joshua and, you know, picking Texas Fury to beat Tyson Fury. But that's you know, neither here nor there. But when it comes to this particular uh, fight coming up, I think it's going to be very interesting to see um, what Jarrell Miller does against someone that could actually punch back. Because one of the things that we've seen with Jarrell Miller, uh, with his uh, previous opponents that he's had, a lot of them don't necessarily like to punch back against them. Um, I mean, you had his fight there um, in the Barclays Center against Johan Duopa. Um Duopa didn't really look like he was doing that much to, you know, punch back when, um, you know, he, um, you know, he was there against. Um, Jerrell Miller, Gerald Washington basically had that same little issue. Marius Rock had that same issue, and well, Thomas Adamic was just basically there to be there. Um, so right now, it, it's just a matter of what will Jerrell Miller do if he gets hit flush with a big punch from Anthony Joshua. Uh, that's the thing that I'm looking for in this potential matchup between the two. Uh, there in uh, Madison Square Garden uh, right now. Let, let me ask uh, you a question what, about which... that. All right. Now, you say that you want to see what's going to happen. Now, obviously, you're picking Joshua, so I think that you believe that uh, Big Baby's going to get knocked out. What happens if Big Baby Miller can handle the power of Anthony Joshua? You don't think Joshua's going to be in trouble? Nah, I, I don't think so because you got to think of because one of the things that we don't know much about is the endurance of Jarrell Miller going up against the guy of uh, Anthony Joshua's caliber. That's number one, and then number two, um, I think you know people overlooking the um, the uh, way that Anthony Joshua is trained and how he makes adjustments in the ring. Um, you know, Rodney Packing is probably one of the uh, best trainers out there in the game because of how he's able to, you know, make in-fight adjustments there um, in the ring with Anthony Joshua, whether it's against the likes of Alexander Povetkin, uh, against uh, Latimer Klitschko, or, you know, how, how we adjust against, you know, smaller opponents like, you know, Carlos Tackham or against Joseph Parker. Uh, so, you know, right now, I mean, yeah, Jerome Miller looks like he's tough and he wants to, you know, seem like he could just walk forward and walk forward against anybody out there. But a lot of those opponents that he's fought really haven't done anything to, you know, make him stop coming forward. He hasn't had any reason to stop coming forward against his opponents because there's been nothing that, you know, they have been able to throw that, you know, uh, has Jerome uh, Miller respect him. And Joshua will throw punches that will make Jerome Miller respect those punches coming from Anthony Joshua. And if so it's going to be how is he going to respond after he gets hit by those punches. And I just don't see Jerome Miller being, being able to withstand uh, all of those punches for 12, for 12 rounds. I just don't see it. Okay. 
probably not that much, but there's a high difference. Uh, but the main thing is that, like, think about the jab that Josh is going to bring and, and the jab is going to be being used to set that right hand. That's going to be coming straight down the pipe pretty much. So can Jared Miller take those, those that type of punishment coming from Joshua, you know? Uh, at one point, would Joshua get winded? And, one, and we know that Jared Miller is a pretty active fighter in terms of his punch output. So we expect him to be in shape and have some good win for the fight. But at the same time, when someone's come, when you get hit with something that's harder than you've ever been hit before, how do you react to that? Can you stand for that, you know, to make Joshua respect you? So all those questions have definitely need to be answered. And, and that's just another storyline as well to consider. So Joshua is now lined up to fight for the first time in, the, in USA soil, right? So what does that really mean? I mean, of course, all, all of us uh, boxing hardcore people, we all know about Joshua. But as far as being a world heavyweight champion, are you knowing the casual fans in your country and outside your country? I mean, you, you probably can take a poll. Some people will probably on the street know who Anthony Joshua is. For, for the most, they, they don't. But, of course, fighting here in U.S. soil, that does that. That gets your name here. That gets your name out in the streets on, on U.S. soil, like I said. And just from that point, uh, now he can create a marketplace here. And and really what I think, I think they're just negotiating. They put this fight with Miller here. Miller here. Uh, they're, they're probably thinking they're going to win this fight, win some more American audience at, at the same time. And then when and if it comes to the point where they have to negotiate with Wilder again, being that he's already fought here and his name's out here, that's going to increase his profile and so, and quote, unquote, Increases value in American marketplace as well. They're gonna just once again try to uh, uh, lowball Deontay Wilder again. And even on that flip side, Wilder has already responded, saying that he has a lot of opponents that can line him up for the next two years without having to fight Joshua. And of course, we already know Hearn responded. Oh, and Hearn responded, of course. Oh, he doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to fight. No, it's just you know, it's at at some point in time, you have to appreciate someone's value in the marketplace. And, and give a, a good split so the fight can happen, so we get the fight that fights that we want to see. So un, until that happens, we keep lowballing people. We're going to just keep speculating back and forth on who's saying what and what's going on. You know, it's crazy. Well, I mean, I find that interesting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That, uh. that, that is what <laughs> needed to be said. That is what you do say. Now, continue to propaganda, JR. Let's hear this. <laughs> wow. I knew, I knew when he was talking about Dylan White that you were going to be like, yes, yes, Terrell, yes. <laughs> Oh man, hey, hey, but I mean, my thing, my thing about uh, Dylan White is that um, I guess that he is, you know, trying to uh, set himself and what his worth is um, in reference to contending for a world heavyweight championship. And so, you know, they were, you know, basically saying that the initial offer to Dylan White was pretty much at the value or below the value uh, that he got uh, when he fought um, Derek Chisora in that rematch where, you know, he was basically um, involved in a uh, Sky Sports pay-per-view car. 
Um, so he, I guess, is just trying to uh, put himself in a position to where uh, he's able to be, you know, compensated uh, in a uh, good little sense in comparison to, you know, fighting for uh, multiple uh, world championships. Uh, but uh, since he, you know, didn't necessarily um, agree to all that, you know, Anthony Joshua moved on and went on and faced Real Miller. Now, in reference to Dylan White, since he did pass on that, there is something lined up for him uh, that will be scheduled for April, even though there was some talk about him saying that he wouldn't necessarily be ready to face Anthony Joshua in April, but there is something lined up for him a week later uh, than that scheduled date. Um, so he'll be going up against quite possibly Alexander Povetkin over in the O2 arena. And I'll be very interested to see how much uh, he will be uh, getting paid for that particular matchup uh, against whether it's uh, against Alexander Povetkin or, you know, maybe he, uh, Dominic Brazil or anything like that. But, <clears throat> You know, when it comes to Dylan White, uh, he's, you know, basically had his position there as a top contender for a world title uh, for almost a year and a half, going on two years now. And it's like, okay, when is it going to be a time where he's going to, you know, fight for a world championship? So whether it's for, you know, the belts that Anthony Joshua has or WBC title that, um, Deontay Wilder has. You still have to, you know, kind of like see what is out there for Dylan White to basically take. And, you know, for the time being, since, you know, Deontay Wilder prefers to, you know, fight Tyson Fury, um, then, you know, Dylan White only has uh, one other option. And, you know, with that being said, you're basically, you know, caught in a little situation there. So it's either, you know, accept what's offered to you and see if you could have that opportunity for, you know, being the uh, world unified world heavyweight champion and take the mantle as the top uh, fighter there in the division or just, you know, move on and see if he could just stay busy in the process. He chose the latter. Um, so, you know, with him, that's kind of like what the uh, situation is on that and kind of like makes a domino effect and as far as like the heavyweight division goes as – uh, we're trying to see what's going to be set up for the uh, Wilder Fury rematch, uh, whether it's going to be, you know, in, uh, you know, late April or uh, within the second week of May. And then with Anthony Joshua fighting, uh, Jarrell Miller scheduled for June 8th in, uh, you know, Madison Square Garden there. So uh, that's what we have there in the heavyweight division. Um, the last thing that uh, you all wanted to, you know, get through was, um, the whole little situation there with uh, Gavante uh, Tank Davis, as you know, he was you know pretty much scheduled to uh, fight Abner Mares on uh, you know next next week, um, but uh, Mares had to uh, basically be out of that fight, and Hugo Ruiz uh, took his place, um, and. On inside the uh, PBC earlier today, we kind of like found out why um, Abner Mares was there. Um, he was in an interview and he revealed that he had a uh, detached retina uh, there, so he could not 
be uh, cleared to fight against Kevante Tank Davis with a uh, detached retina, and he you know, will be out of commission for a good little while, and it could be potentially uh, the end of his career. Just uh, got to see what the update is uh, on that. But um, but as for now, you got uh, Kevante Davis defending his uh, version of the super featherweight title against Hugo Ruiz uh, there at uh, Carson, California, um, you know, next weekend. And, you know, just, you know, also seeing here that hopefully this isn't a uh, co-feature bout, but um, Erickson Lubin, who, you know, contended for the uh, super welterweight title at one point against uh, Jamel Charlo, um, is going to be going up against Eshae Smith. So, yeah. That's going to be on um, Facebook. That- it's going to be on Facebook? Okay. Um, yeah, it's going to be on Facebook. Yeah, because uh, I'm, like, looking at this thing, and I'm, like, seeing Showtime, and I'm, like, wait, no, nah, that that nah, that can't be. <laughs> so maybe yeah, it's Spinoza, that uh, lightweight Spinoza bout. announced that it's going to be streaming on Showtime's Facebook page and their YouTube page. All right, gotcha, gotcha, because, uh, yeah, there, there's a few other fights that are, you know, they're on the schedule, so um, we're going to see how that's going to, you know, work itself out. <clears throat> Got to see how the schedule is uh, for that. Um, but, yeah, the thing with that Adam Mares, man, that's kind of like a very tough situation, uh, how that kind of, like, uh, worked out there for him. So, um, you know, that's what I got out of that. Um, Matt, you, you wanted uh, to comment in reference to Adam Mares? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I think he got, I think he got lucky that his detached retina happened in sparring, because, uh, God forbid, he had got hit by something nasty uh, from the Javante Davis without any headgear on. That could have been catastrophic. You know, honestly, I think his career is probably over. I don't see how um, any type of governing body in the United States is going to license him. He already had a detached retina in 2008, uh, his left one. Uh, this one is his right one. Uh, two heel detached retinas. That's going to be iffy to get this guy uh, licensed. Uh, when I, I did do some research. When he had his uh, retina detached in 2008, when he came back, he did have trouble getting licensed in here, and he had to go through a lot of stuff to get licensed. That was when he was younger. He's 33 years old now. He's not 23 anymore. So a 33-year-old guy with a family, how how hungry is he going to be to get back? And who's looking out for him to tell him, hey, listen, uh, you might not want to jump back in there because he's not the type of fighter that can just box beautifully 12 rounds. He always ends up in some type of war. And, and to have two detached retinas in one career, he's lucky he still has his vision. I think he should just retire and see if he can improve with the TV stuff that he's been doing on the PBC side. Yeah, that's going to be, you know, very tough. Like you say, with him having a detached retinas, it's, you know, basically like the whole situation there with um, Kel Brook. I mean, he was, you know, there going up against Gennady Golovkin and, and got, you know, one eye <clears throat> detached and then going up against Joe Spence Jr. had his other eye detached and 
He's had like a couple of fights, you know, but other than that, you haven't really seen Kell Brook as far as like being put in a position in a high profile fight because of the dangers that could happen uh, there with him. So here with Abner Marius, you know, going to, in those wars that he's had over the you know past few years and his fights against Leo Santa Cruz, you know, going up against a guy like Devontae Tank Davis, who's much younger, much faster. Uh, yeah, that would have been a uh, – could have ended up being a very bad situation there uh, for him. So, um, I mean, hopefully, you know, Marez uh, considers um, his career once he uh, has this, uh, you know, all healed up. But um, it would be a very, very risky situation if – uh, you had Marez like come back and fight the likes of a uh, Monte Tank Davis at this particular stage of his career. Uh, Terrell, what, what you got on it? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, pretty much right along that same line with that uh, a detached brand that's nothing easy to come back from. Uh, considering the fact that not not for the reason that Matt mentioned also about the fact of doing a recovery, got family, things like that. But think about it. I'm, I'm not even sure the time frame for a, a recovery for operation or healing treatment whatever. But think about this. Say, for example, it takes him a, a good solid year, maybe a year and a half to get back into the ring. Think of all what's going to transpire while he's out. There's going to be so many fights happening that, that his name's going to get passed by, passed by, passed by, simply because he's unavailable to fight. So uh, retiring is probably the most viable option for him, for him at this point. And like I said, like I said think, the main thing about it, there's going to be so much going on in the sport of boxing because, you know, the sport does not stop for anybody. There's only so many people that can can, can, can exit and come back in and come back in successfully and, and get a good opportunity. So it might be the end. I mean, it's going to be a good fight uh, as far as long as it lasts. I mean, most most people expect it for Tank to go and blast him out. Uh, Maris does not back down. Maris does not, does not give up. But he's probably going to be outclassing this fight against uh, Tank. But that's the main thing for <clears throat> recovery time, coming back in. And actually, the sport does not stop anybody. So at this point, it's, just, it's kind of academic. So if we see him again, we don't. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Maris has had his day in boxing. That is good here, good fights. He's made his impression on us. So if we don't see him again, I'm cool with that. We know who he is. He's still tall. Yeah, he's had, you know, a few few uh, notable fights over the course of his, uh, you know, professional career. And, and so if his, you know, career ends up uh, being uh, stopped after, you know, this, then, you know, he, you know, he could say that he's, you know, basically been the uh, world champion, um, over the course of his uh, professional career, you know, on uh, multiple times, uh, you know, he's been a um, multi-division world champion. So it's not like he's, you know, had a, a very bad career. So he could, you know, close the book on his career and say that, you know, he, he did his thing uh, there in, in the uh, ring. Uh, but, you know, right now it's basically about safety and his health is his uh, number one priority. So, uh, for him, it, it's, you know, just uh, have, make, having a matter of getting that eye rested up and uh, being able to heal that. And then once that's done, then see where, where he's at as far as, like, his uh, stature 
uh, in the division that he wants to campaign in and, and seeing if he's like, you know, able to really get in shape and be good enough to contend in that particular uh, weight division that he would be, whether it's a super featherweight or some other division uh, by the time he uh, recovers uh, there. So, you know, that's what we, uh, that's what he has uh, right in front of him here for the next few months or so. Um, you know, on that note, you know, it pretty much uh, covers everything that I wanted to cover here in this particular episode. Um, is there like anything else that uh, y'all wanted to touch on here? Uh, not really. I just wanted to reiterate how how masterfully Brother Terrell weaved through the myth of Anthony Joshua and how Anthony Joshua continuously low balls his potential opponents so that he can have plausible deniability say that these guys don't want to fight him. If you've seen the interview that Dillian White did while he was side-by-side side with Eddie Hearn, a lot of the things he said is the same thing Deontay Wilder was saying when he was negotiating with Anthony Joshua. I do not think it's a coincidence. The only common denominator in these fights not getting made is Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn. On Monday, you had Anthony Joshua putting on his Snapchat that he's the puppet master. He controls Fury, Wilder, uh, Miller, and, and Dillian White. Friday, they're crying conspiracy. The heavyweights are trying to freeze Anthony Joshua out. Wham, 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 wham. Are you the puppet master or are you being frozen out, Anthony Joshua? Let me know. Well, we know that one particular fighter doesn't have the courage to fight for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is that the guy that he's so zero, you know, so hell-bent on facing knows that he will face anybody and want to fight anybody. So Tyson Fury, at least, at least he has the... Um, what do you call it, that testicular fortitude uh, to face anyone within the heavyweight division. So there is that. Um, But I kind of find it interesting that it seems like a lot of people feel like they're being low-balled when they get offers from the unified heavyweight champion of the world but when they have their own particular fight. Their payment is way below the value that they necessarily speak against the unified heavyweight champion of the world. So I kind of find that very interesting. Um, but whether or not they say that they're getting low balls, that's on them. You have one side, you have the other side, and you have the truth. So eventually, we're going to get that uh, later on down the line. But. On that note, that puts a conclusion to this episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. Be sure to catch the next one uh, that's coming up on next Sunday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, be sure to catch the sister shows on the uh, Go Long Media Channel here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. And this particular episode will be available on iTunes on Acre.fm, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify later this week. And like I say, at the end of every show, the point of boxing is to hit and not get hit, not to stand and trade. On that note, I'm out.
Have a good evening, everybody. Peace. Bob Squad, baby. Uh, oh, come on, man. <laughs>